GBC Podcasts, local voices on demand. Hi, I'm Justine Cartwright, and every week I bring you life stories on GBC television. Everyone has a story to tell, and on the programme we meet people from all walks of life, and we listen to their stories and personal journey in their own words. Many of us struggle with our mental health on a daily basis, myself included. Today we meet someone who has been incredibly courageous in sharing her story. The idea being that it was important for her to put the message out there that she and you are not alone. Let's meet Natasha. Natasha, I've gotten to know you a little bit over the last few weeks and I understand and appreciate just how difficult this is for you to do. It's taken a lot of courage for you to come out and do this. Yeah, definitely. Um, why did you want to do this interview? Um, I think it was really important um, to talk about mental health as openly as possible. Um, recently I've experienced um, spending time with family members who maybe who are younger who are starting to experience things like anxiety and depression and they don't really feel like there's a lot of information out there to help them or to guide them. So, and a lot of them feel very ashamed to speak up about their mental health. So I wanted to come on this show just to kind of show people that it's okay to speak up, even if you feel ashamed or, you know, worried that you can't do it. It's good to just push through it. It takes a lot of courage, though, because we all know the stigma that's attached to mental Absolutely. health. We're literally just starting to talk about things and there's a long, long road to go down to get this out in the open. When did you start to feel, I mean, you're only 25. Yeah. So you're one of Gibraltar's young adults. Mm -hmm. And um, this started, life started to change at a certain point Absolutely. for you. When, when did you start to realise that something wasn't quite right? I think this must have been around my teenage years, um, late teenage years, about 17 to, 18, 17 to 19, you know, when normal day-to-day -day things would happen. I think my reactions were so extreme in comparison to other people's. Um, and this left me feel, always feeling really frustrated and I used to think, but people are really shallow. They don't, you know, they don't feel things as deeply as I do. And after a while I started, to, well, when I, after I was diagnosed, I realized it wasn't that they were shallow. It's just that they were able to regulate their emotions in a way that I wasn't. Right. How did you kind of, you must have self-diagnosed to a degree when you started to find help or did you not? Um, how, how, what happened that changed things? Well, I, I think that, you know, I think what the first major sign was that I started to lose. Um, I didn't I didn't find joy in the things that used to bring me a lot of happiness. And that for that for me was art. I went to uni to study fine art in the UK um, and I love the course. It was brilliant. Um, so I think the first year I really enjoyed it was um, I loved the course. I made some really nice friends. Um, and then I came back for the summer holidays and things got a little bit difficult for me in the sense I was starting to experience anxiety, um, like depression. And then when I went back for my second year, I really noticed that it had gotten bad. So I think one day I felt almost as if I was coming down with something like a cold. I wasn't 100%. Right. So I just wanted to stay in bed. 
And then the next day I realized that I still wanted to stay in bed. And then three weeks later, I realized I was still in bed. Right. So then, you know, obviously alarm will start to go off and I think, okay, there's something really not right here. And I think the people around me were noticing as well, family members, friends. So um, I was in the UK and family members actually flew over and brought me back to Jib. Um, I was diagnosed initially in the UK and then I came back to Jib to resume my treatment here. Okay, so what is the diagnosis? So the diagnosis is bipolar disorder and BPD, which stands for borderline personality disorder. Right, but you also self-harm? I do. And you also suffer from depression and anxiety because let's let's make sure that people understand because mental health is like an umbrella term. Yeah, but absolutely. What we, what we need to understand is that there are so many illnesses and they are so different from each other as well. And people have may have a misconception as to what one is as yeah. opposed to another. And I even find that people with the same diagnosis, their experiences can be so unique, even though it's the same sort of label, like bipolar or whatever it may be. Right. So you came back to Jib and this was the beginning of your journey in trying to understand your illnesses and your issues. Yeah. Um, how did you find coming home, the difficulties and what was there in place? How many years ago was it? Um, this was seven years ago, I think now. Seven years ago. So you came back to a Gibraltar still very much in the infancy of understanding and dealing with these issues. What happened for you in that respect? Um, I think when I was, when I first got the diagnosis and I came back, I w first I was a little bit relieved to hear that, you know, I was behaving in a certain way for a reason, that it was the diagnosis. But then after a while, I was very angry incredibly angry. I felt the whole situation was unfair, you know, that I wasn't going to be able to carry on with uni. I wasn't going to be able to continue needing a normal life, let's say. A lot of the time I had to attend um, appointments after Ocean Views, um, which I found quite difficult because a lot of the time you go in and, you know, Jib is a small place, so yeah. you kind of know everyone. So for me, like it was, I felt ashamed of it and I didn't want people to find out. So going up to places like Ocean Views where, you know, the receptionist, the doctor, the nurse, yeah. everyone knows you. That would become very, very distressing for me. Um, it was, it became a really difficult journey of, you know, my life revolving around meds, doctors, um, dealing with the symptoms of the meds. So it became very, you know, but it became the very center of my life and it was really, really hard for a lot of years. Um, the medication that I was put on initially was extremely strong, um, antipsychotics. Um, I was on antipsychotics, antidepressants, um, Valiums and things like that. And for weeks I would just be in bed because I didn't have the energy to um, get up or function normally, do day-to-day -day things, you know. Yeah. Um, I completely changed. I felt like I had turned into a zombie. Um, I think, and then after that, you know, as the meds started to level out and my body became more accustomed to them, it became a little bit easier. You started to manage. A started little to manage a little bit better. Um, but yeah, it's still hard. And some days, even even now to this point, seven years later, if I have a bad day, I'll take extra meds, and then I've got to, you know, keep in mind that the next day I will have to deal with the consequences of all the side effects and etc. Cetera, etc. Cetera. Of course, because people don't realise that when they're on antipsychotics, uh, diazepam, and all of these kind of very strong meds, the 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 knock-on effect of those meds, you have to take other meds to counter out 
counteract the, the after effects of them. So it's a juggling um, issue all the time for you. It's a daily Definitely. struggle all the time just to be able to function normally yeah. as people would expect. How has that affected you in your personal relationships, in love, with family, at work? Um, I think I think my relationships have always been very complicated. I feel like I've always had trouble fitting in, making friends and all that. Um, but I think a person like me, you know, with all my challenges, I feel like I do, I challenge people to be very open-minded, very compassionate. And I don't feel like some people are there yet, but in the same breath, I, I feel like, you know, through my experience that that's okay now because even though not everybody's willing to, you know, stay in my life whilst I've got all these difficulties, the people who do stay are the people who truly care about me and who truly see the good and the bad and love me anyway. So that's it's kind of like a, you are, yeah. it's kind of like a quality over quantity sort of thing. Yeah. Yeah. Now there's one I was gonna say person, <laughs> but it could be a person, couldn't he? Uh, that people probably don't think makes such a difference, and that's Frankie. I want to introduce Frankie. Absolutely. Frankie, Frankie. come. Frankie, come. come here. Good boy. Good boy. Good boy. Come here. He come is here. your absolute saviour. He is. Frankie. Tell me about Frankie. Frankie is a, is a dog from the Animals in Need Foundation. Um, when I fostered him initially, he was in a kill station about to be put down. Oh, gosh. Um, and I met him at a time that I wasn't feeling 100% myself, so I wasn't sure if I was going to be able to cope with a foster dog and things like that. Um, but the minute I met him, I just fell in love with him. And even though he's not like an official therapy dog or anything, he became my therapy dog. And he really helped me with my mental health. Um, for example, I experience sometimes hallucinations and auditory hallucinations. Mm -hmm. And sometimes if I'm in, for example, in this flat alone and I will start to hallucinate and I can't work out whether it's real or not. For example, if I see a man in my flat, if the dog doesn't react to this person in my flat, I know mm -hmm. it's not real. So you gauge by his I reactions. gauge by his reactions very okay. much so. Um, also things like if I have a panic attack, normally what I'll do is I'll sit on the floor and I'll breathe it out and he sits right beside me and he stays with me. That's if amazing. I have to take extra medication and I have to sleep for longer hours, he'll sleep in the bed next to me and watch over me. Um, walking him means I have to be out of the house three times a day minimum, which pushes me to get the fresh air. And honestly, he's just joy and light and everything I need on a bad day. So he's like, He's everything to me. People underestimate the therapy healing power of Absolutely. animals. Um, it, it is such a good thing for mental health and is underestimated. He's a beautiful dog and he's <laughs> saving your life and you're saving his, which is amazing. <laughs>
not being able to leave my bedroom because I've got such bad social anxiety. It was really, really difficult. And um, I felt really ashamed because I would come back from uni and naturally you bump into people you know on the street and they say, oh, what are you up to? Are you working? Are you studying? You say, well, actually, no, neither. And people sort of look at you like, well, if you're not working and you're not studying, what are you doing? Yeah. And you kind of, you don't know what to say because at the time I wasn't comfortable talking about what I, what I was going through. So it was, it became this thing that it even stopped me wanting to leave the house because I didn't want to have to explain to people why I was in jib and not at uni like all the rest of the people in my year group or... So it was very, very difficult for me, yeah, to come back. And I would, like, I, I would love to be able to work. But things like um, with my meds, waking up extremely groggy in the morning, sometimes I can't even, I walk Frankie and I can't even see properly because I'm so sedated. Yeah. Um, you know, keeping organized, um, retaining new information. A lot of this has become very, very difficult for me with my medication and since being diagnosed in general. So tell us a little about a little bit about the hallucinatory and auditory hallucinations because people probably don't understand that. Unfortunately, Hollywood has not helped. Yeah, let's absolutely. put it that way. But what is it that you see and feel? Can you kind of like try and explain what it is for somebody else who might think they're seeing or feeling something similar? Yeah. Um, so an auditory hallucination is like a hallucination that you hear, but it's like a sound. So normally, for me, in my experience, voices. So for me, the best way I can kind of describe it is if I'm sitting here and then someone's standing right behind me sort of whispering into my ear. Okay. That is the way I will experience the auditory hallucinations. And then, you know, my regular like um, visual hallucinations, um, it's usually like I see people or things happening, like maybe I'll see someone walk across the room that's not really there. And um, they can be quite distressing um, and I haven't learned to manage them yet, especially if you're at home, it's easier. You can, you know, got your comfort to yeah. calm you down and stuff. But if you are in public and you're not really sure if what you're seeing or hearing is real, and you start to become distressed, it's paranoid yeah, as well. extremely paranoid. Yeah. Um, that becomes very, very difficult. Yeah. And what you do is you run to your safe place, which is home. Yeah, pretty much. Um, I feel like there's a, I feel like there's in Jib, there's a lack of information about, you know, auditory hallucinations and stuff like that. So yes. I don't really know how to manage them myself. I got little techniques, like for example, if they're not too loud, sometimes I can put music on classical music, which will help me or, things like that, but yeah, still a lot of work needs to be done on that, I think, on my behalf. Yeah. What about in your in, in everyday life, when you're on a, a, a low, and mm. we know that even taking these strong medications, you will have your ups and your downs. Yeah. You have been so, so low that you actually have attempted suicide. Yeah. How, how, how did this happen? Um, well, with um, bipolar disorder, you kind of like range from extreme emotions. So you go from extreme depressive lows to, you know, swing of a pendulum to extreme manic highs. And during these depressive lows, you feel, you know, hopeless, like life isn't worth living. You lose all sense of self. You, um, and in these moments, all, all you want is for things to end because things get so difficult and things seem so dark and like things are never gonna get better. Yeah. Um, and I think my my first serious suicide attempt, I think it was that it was just this feeling that I was trapped in this horrific situation that I was never going to be free from because 
you can't really be cured of bipolar. You can treat it and you can manage it, but you can't cure it. So I just, you know, all of a sudden my life went from being at uni, studying, friends, you know, to in my bedroom, you know, at my mum's flat, just completely out of it like a zombie, not being able to do anything. So yeah, it's, it, 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 the, yeah, it was difficult. And the suicide attempt, I think that was just, you know, me, say, me just saying, I'm out, I can't, can't cope You've with this anymore. Enough. Yeah. Um, so that, that brings me to the question of how you are coping and what Gibraltar offers you today. How, how have you seen the mental health issue in Gibraltar evolve? within the the health, uh, the GHA, and what is there on offer with you? Where can improvements be made? Um, I think with the, the mental health system, there are definitely improvements that can be made. Um, I've been lucky to have specifically two very good doctors um, that I feel that, you know, the difference between them and other doctors has been personal experience. And I feel like they've had a deeper understanding Something I'm very grateful for is my meds. Okay. Um, my meds, they, they're 100% necessary for me. They, I need them to keep me alive. They keep me stable. Some people with bipolar disorders, depending where you are on the spectrum, have a choice of whether they want to take meds or not. For me, it, it's not a choice. I have to. Um, so I'm, I'm lucky that, you know, the GHA provides that and I get my tablets for free. And that's all great. But on the other hand, for example, I've been... I've been told by several other psychiatrists on several other occasions that the best form of treatment for bipolar disorder is um, cognitive behavioral therapy with medication. Okay. However, at the moment in Jib, I was actually told by my doctor two days ago um, that there's only one non-private psychologist for the whole of Gibraltar. So there's one a, for the whole of Gibraltar. Whole I just of, want to repeat that because it is an incredible statement to make. Yeah. Absolutely, one for the whole of Gibraltar at the moment. So they, for, for, for months and months and months now, they've been telling me it's just not possible for me to see a psychologist. All they can offer me, the only other support they can offer me is either upping my meds, which I don't need because I don't need to feel like a zombie, or changing my meds. And right. apart from that, there's no other support that they can give. So I feel like the, the meds, although they do keep me stable, I do feel like it's a band-aid and it doesn't sort of help me manage day to, in day-to-day -day life like co like therapy yeah. would and talking yeah. to someone. and So you feel strongly that we have a long, long way to go Absolutely. in that regard. There's, there's a lot of uh, holes in the system that are yeah. not meeting the demand and the needs of people like yourself, which there are many. Yeah. Um, and I feel like there is a little bit of an issue with um, doctors maybe not taking patients so seriously like for example in one of my appointments this week I was explaining the doctor that my um, hallucinations can come at any any in, during any situation so I could be distressed I could be sat at home completely relaxed it comes it, there's no reason or rhyme to it it comes when yeah. it comes sort of thing and I explained to him that even when I'm calm and relaxed they do they do still come and he asked and he just said you know are you sure you're not hysterical Right, so... And I felt like that was quite dismissive, you know, of what I go through and how difficult it is. And it's not just me being hysterical and dramatic. It's something that really, you know, impacts my life day to day. Yeah, it's so difficult to understand, isn't it? Unless you have suffered from mental health issues. I agree. 
yourself. I mean, I have, and I've made no secrets of that mm. over my years in television, but I can relate to a lot of what you're saying. And that helps when yeah. you find somebody like-minded in that respect. Your art has been an outlet for you that I, I stumbled upon it and I was blown away because for me, I, I can read into your art so, so many things. Um, what do you want to do moving forward? I mean, it's, it's, I want to have a, a, an exhibition. <laughs> it's crazy. I love it. You have a thing for flowers. Um, yeah, definitely. Um, I think initially I was looking at the, like, the parallel metaphors between personal growth and the growth of flowers. I thought that was quite an interesting um, concept. And apart from that, nature has always been so good very for my mental. Very healing nature. Absolutely, yeah. very grounding. Um, so I wanted to start with something like something like that, and the art has been an incredible outlet for me. Um, to be honest, it was it was quite scary, e even initially uploading my art. Um, for many years after I was diagnosed, the meds were so heavy that they they affected my ability to be creative. So yeah. for years and years, I couldn't paint, I couldn't draw, and then all of a sudden, it kind of all came rushing back, and suddenly I could paint, I could create. So. I was really excited and I started up this Tiftoff page. Um, again, just like as an outlet, I wanted to start more of a conversation about mental health. I wanted to, in a sort of way, like describe my experiences in a blog sort of format. So, you know, really open, really honest. I want people to know the reality of the situation. And my hope is that one day, like people with mental health issues will be able to discuss their struggles just as easily as someone with a phys physical disability. Absolutely. Um, so yeah, I, I'm the hope that it will help someone along the way and it can be normalized. That's, that's the idea, isn't it? That we normalize this by talking about it and the more we talk about it, the less scary it becomes to Absolutely. a degree. And uh, we can all get on with our lives and accept people for who they are. Um, some of your artwork is behind me, but it's not only the, the, the artwork that you're doing now. You also have a little project in mind, which is absolutely crucial, and there is a very large niche for it, which is your writing a book on your uh, experiences with your mental health issues, and also another one from the carer's point of view, which yeah. a lot of people don't appreciate. Yeah. So um, for the first book, I definitely want to do it from sort of my point of view, the patient. Um, I want it to, I find that like since being diagnosed myself and looking for information online when finding there's a lack of psychologists and stuff, I found that there was a lack of practical information. You know, there's stuff like speak to your doctor or go to a friend, don't be alone. But the practical steps I'm talking, you know, what do you do? 10 minutes before a panic attack? What do you do exactly. when you start to you know, feel distressed out in public? What are the steps that you can take? And I'd, I'd love to put a book together which, um, which explains all of these things, but the concept I kind of have is that I want it to be as simple as possible. So I want maybe, as you open a book, I'd like a simple illustration and then some simple words on the other page so that patients like me at the beginning, when I was so sedated, I could not open a book and read. So I would like, 
So when other if other patients were to read it, they can open it and just read with clarity a few sentences so much and then time. close it and put it down again. And yeah. it, I am hoping that it, you can open it on any page and read it and then put it down. And, and it your thoughts effective. about the carer's book? Because obviously you've got, you're blessed with, with your family and, and, and a great mum. Yeah. Um, so that support is crucial in any illness. Yeah. Um, so you wanted to do that from what perspective then? Um, I'd love to get the perspective of different carers around Gibraltar. For example, my mum, her experience with um, caring for me during my um, journey. Um, yeah, also getting different opinions. And I think it's also interesting to add maybe from a patient's point of view, how they feel a carer can help them. Because I feel like there are little things like, um, for example, with my mum, if I'm out in public with my mum and I'm starting to feel you know, a bit edgy, rather than explaining it to her, I'll use like a code word and she'll know what that word means. And then, you know, we'll go off to the side, we'll take a breather and then we'll yeah. carry on with our day. Yeah. But I think it's just little things like that that, that really help. help. Yeah. yeah. Now in Gibraltar, just looking at Gibraltar again briefly, we are moving forward. Uh, the RGP have just done a new initiative where they're training their officers to become more aware of mental health issues and how they are shown how they're displayed when they come up against somebody who may be displaying you yeah. know, uh, a panic attack or, or otherwise, which is great, great news. But it, I remember an anecdote you told me, which I felt was so shocking that kind of like puts it in a nutshell, when you were called up for jury duty, what happened? Yeah, um, so yeah, I was summoned for jury um, duty, which, um, you know, I sent, my mom sent an email asking why I was summoned if I have, you know, a mental health condition. And they informed us that we needed to get a letter from my psychiatrist um, to say that I was exempt from the jury service. When I went into this appointment and I asked for the exemption letter, they told me that um, even though I will be bipolar for the rest of my life and I will be on meds for the rest of my life, that it's not a permanent um, excuse for not being at jury service. So this time I would be exempt, but next time they would have to consider it and evaluate whether I should be um, on the jury service. And quite frankly, I, I just, I don't think it's right because, you know, I, I'll admit it myself, sometimes I lose touch on reality and things that are going on around me. So I don't think I'd be able to give, you know, a fair opinion if I was in a bad way, for example. Yeah. So I don't think, and that's those hallucinations those hallucin I have. And exactly. So I don't think people like that should be put in those types of positions where, you know, it, it could make a massive difference to the person's case. I, Absolutely. And mm. seems so logical. So it's little things like that that we need to be have a better sense of, of awareness about. Absolutely. And yeah. start changing. We're nearly done. How are you feeling? Are we actually? That's really yeah. fast. We're very really quickly. done. So I'm going to ask you a last question. <laughs> what would you say to young people who might be in this position and find it hard to talk or reach out to their parents? What would you say? I would say that it's so important to not feel ashamed, like whether you are diagnosed with a mental illness or not. Everybody goes through ups and downs in their life. Everybody needs help at different points in their lives and there's no shame in speaking up. Um, I'm by nowhere means a professional, but you know, if anyone else, if anyone out there is feeling like they have mental health struggles and would like a chat, I'm, you know, I'm always up for a chat and just listen and 
um, they can contact me via my TIFTOF page. And I think that's been the best thing about the art page that people who are like-minded or have the same sort of illness coming together and sharing their experiences. So I think it's really important for people to start speaking up. GBC Podcasts, local voices on demand.